Good morning. Good morning. Acts the 10th chapter and Acts, well, in Acts 10 and Acts 11, both we're going to be taking a look at this morning. Good to see all that are present here this morning. Gerald, good job with the class, the songs. Kenny, it's good to see you up there this morning helping with the Lord's table. Appreciate that very much. A Jew, a Tanner, and a Gentile is the title of the lesson this morning. Take it from Acts. We read from Acts 10, verses 1 through 6. But we'll look a little further as we uh, get into this. I'll go ahead and pull up that slide. In Acts 10, there actually is a narrative that begins there. Luke records for us. It runs from Acts 10, verse 1, all, th- all the way through into chapter 11 and verse 18. And the importance of what Luke records for us there is obvious by the length of that narrative. And not only does it extend for several verses, what is told there is told, and then it's repeated, (laughs) and it's told again. And so Luke wants to make sure, the Holy Spirit wants to make sure that we understand what's being recorded there for us and the importance of what's recorded there for us. The three points he wants to give consideration. The Jew and the Tanner is what we'll take a look at first. Then we'll take a look at the Gentile. And then we'll take a look at the fact that the Gentiles are in. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Verse 5. Now send men. This is the instruction that is being given to Cornelius. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 6. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So the first thing we want to give consideration to, there's three characters that are mentioned there. And oftentimes we think about the two that are the most prominent. That's Peter and Cornelius. But there's Simon, this tanner that is mentioned there also. And I think it's significant that it's there and that Luke has recorded that for us. We'll start by thinking about Peter. Do you remember Peter? So Cornelius is being told where he is, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Send down to where Peter is and get him and have him to come here. Peter, you remember him when he is called early on? The Gospels record that. More than one of the Gospels record that calling of Peter whenever he first encounters Jesus. The one I like to take a look at in regards to like with this lesson is from Luke the 5th chapter. Because Luke records for us in Luke chapter 5 that Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're all there by the shore of Galilee. It's early in the morning and they're washing their nets. See, because people who fish for a living, they fished at night. And so Luke records that they are there. There are two boats that are sitting there and they're empty. And the fishermen are washing their nets. And Jesus comes up to one of the boats and gets into it and asks Peter to push out from the shore. And so Peter does that and Jesus sets down and then he addresses the crowd that is there. Kind of that natural amphitheater type of effect. And it says that when he finished speaking, then he told Peter, push out a little further and drop down your nets for a catch. And it's interesting the way Peter responds. In usual Peter's fashion, he says, Master, we have fished all night. In other words, This is what we do for a living. We fish. You teach. I'll stay in my lane. You stay in yours. (laughs) But he goes on and he says, but at your word, I'll do it. So he pushes out, he drops the net, and guess what happens? The net is so full, it's starting to break. The net is so full that he calls for help. So they bring the other boat and they have caught so many fish that they're loading up both boats and both boats almost are starting to sink. And then Peter looks at Jesus and he falls down to his knees. And he says, depart from me, Lord, 
I'm a sinful man. He encounters Jesus. Now, I think that's interesting. Because you know what Luke records for us immediately after that? It says that Jesus goes into a certain city. And there is a man there that is a leper. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches him and says, I am willing, be cleansed. And he's clean of his leprosy. So Luke records this. Peter says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. But Jesus doesn't leave him alone. (laughs) He knows what he is, who he is. And then Luke records that Jesus touches a leper. Do you know if you touch someone who has leprosy, you become unclean. But Jesus touches him. So this is Peter that we're talking about here. Peter who starts off as a skeptic, who becomes a disciple, who later becomes an apostle. It's that Peter that we're talking about. This is the same Peter that in Matthew the 16th chapter when they're in the area of Caesarea Philippi and Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they answer, and then he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. And how does Jesus respond to him? And thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and I will give to you the keys to the kingdom. You know what keys do? (laughs) They unlock. This is the Peter that we're talking about. You know what else we know about Peter? We know that when we come to Luke, the 22nd chapter, on the night when Jesus is betrayed, now we have Peter who says, I'm willing to die with you. He denies him three times. But Jesus doesn't leave him alone. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, we have John, the 21st chapter. And where is Peter on that occasion? He's back out there fishing. And there's Jesus on the shore. And he's going to have breakfast with him. Peter sees that it's him. He dives in the water and comes to the shore. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do, Lord. And he says it three times. So then Jesus asks him, he says, Peter... Do you love me more than these? And I think what he's indicating, do you love me enough to leave your business and come follow me? That's who we're talking about, Peter. And Peter does. And Peter is with him 40 days before Pentecost, after Jesus has been resurrected. And it's Peter who's the one that is going to preach the gospel for the very first time in Acts chapter 2. That's who we're talking about. This is Peter who we've studied from Acts chapter 4 and 5, along with John, get arrested and then beaten and threatened and told, stop talking about Jesus. But they don't stop. That's who we're talking about. This is Peter... Acts chapter 8, watch it. Who goes down to Samaria. Now, Philip's already been there. We'll give him credit for that. (laughs) But Peter and John go down to Samaria. Samaria. Do you know who lives in Samaria? (laughs) It's them Samaritans. And if you're a true Jew, (laughs) you look down on this mixed race. And prior to this, that oftentimes those who lived in the north in Galilee, whenever they were going to travel to Judea, down to Jerusalem and so forth for the feast days, they would come to the borders of Samaria and then they would go east, cross the Jordan and circle around and come back in. And then they would enter Judea. They don't want to go through Samaria. (laughs) Acts chapter 8. Peter's in Samaria. 
And what's he doing down there? He heard that they've become disciples. And he goes down there and he's praying for them. Laying hands on them. So that they might receive the Spirit. And he stays there for a while. That's who we're talking about. Peter. This is Peter, Acts chapter 9. Because the gospel is being spread throughout Galilee and Judea and Samaria at this particular time. So Peter decides to head west. And where does he go? He goes to Lydda. And it just so happens that in Lydda, he encounters this man that has been paralyzed for eight years. And he heals him. Think about it. Long ways from that morning on the shore of Galilee, isn't it? He's now preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 2. He's now down in Samaria. Acts chapter 8. He's praying for these folks. And now, he's heading west. And he comes to Lydda. And he heals this man. Why would the Holy Spirit allow him to heal that man? Because he wants him to know that he's with him. So you know what Peter does next? There are those in that region. This is more towards the coast of the Mediterranean. Peter gets called to Joppa because there is a certain disciple that is there, this lady that is full of all these good deeds, and her name is Tabitha. Aramaic. Dorcas. Greek. Keep going. English. Gazelle. (laughs) She's died. You know what happens if you touch a dead body? You become unclean. Peter goes to her house, enters in where she is lying, raises her from the dead. Have you raised anybody from the dead lately? Nope. (laughs) But if you did, you think that might have just a little impact on you? Whoa. (laughs) What I'm saying is, this is Peter. Peter, who was a skeptic, who became a disciple, who became an apostle, who became a denier, who became restored, who preached the gospel for the very first time, who is now is willing to go to Samaria and pray for those folks and lay hands on those folks to accept them as equal. And he's in Lydda, and he heals this man, and he goes to Joppa because they call for him and raises a woman from the dead. Let me ask you. If you did all that stuff, would you be feeling pretty good about yourself about now? I think he is. I think he's feeling pretty good about himself. But now then, there's this tanner. And Peter is in Joppa. Raises this woman from the dead. And now he stays with Simon. What do we know about Simon? Simon is a tanner. I don't know if you know anything about tanning hides or not, but I will just tell you this. You don't do it while the animal's still wearing it. (laughs) So that means the animal has to be dead. And do you know what you become when you touch dead things? You become unclean. And so now here's 
Peter. He's not only just stopping by for a visit. (laughs) He's staying with this man. I think Luke has done some amazing things for us in recording these things about Peter. I think he's doing more than just tracing Peter's physical steps. I think he's also tracing Peter's spiritual progress. Think about it. Jesus encounters Peter. Peter says, depart from me for I am a sinner. Jesus doesn't leave him alone. The very thing, next thing that Luke records is that Jesus touches a leper. Someone who is holy won't leave somebody who's unholy alone. Someone who is clean touches someone who is unclean. And they're both changed. Where do you think Peter learned to associate with those whom they formerly thought were unholy? Where do you think Peter learned to associate with those who are unclean? Learned it from Jesus, didn't he? And so now, Peter is staying in the home of a man who makes his living, his occupation, touching dead animals. And that's where Peter is. He's with Simon, this tanner. And so next, there's this Gentile. Acts the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people. Some translations say to the Jewish people, and I think that's the idea. And prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Caesarea, Joppa, go get Peter. Tell him to come here. At the close of Acts chapter 9, Luke tells us where Peter is. At the beginning of Acts chapter 10, now he introduces this Gentile. Think about it. Peter, skeptic, disciple, apostle, denier, Restored, preaching the gospel for the first time. Now, he's willing to go to Samaritans. Now, we fast forward a little bit, and he's in the house of a person who would be considered to be unclean. And he's staying there. And now, Luke records there's a vision a Gentile is going to send for Peter I think there's a reason why it's in this sequence 
I think there's a reason why Luke records all the way from Acts chapter 10 and verse 1 all the way through Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. What God is about to do is significant. This is a big deal. (laughs) He's going to get the attention of everybody. Of the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he's saying, I want you to go 35 miles south and I want you to get Peter and bring him here. Now as you take and read Acts chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 and it says there is a man dwelling in Caesarea whose name is Cornelius and then it goes on to tell you that he is a centurion and that he is a devout man along with all of his household and he gives alms And he prays continuously. But he just kind of comes out of nowhere, doesn't he? (laughs) And so what we know about Cornelius is contained right there in those, those few verses. His name is Cornelius. His occupation is a soldier. His rank is a centurion. He's a part of the Italian regiment. And from that day and time, if you read some of the historians, they would tell you that a lot of the soldiers that patrol that particular area would come from Syria. But that's not what he's a part of. He's from back home. He's a part of the Italian regiment. Caesarea was Rome's capital in that area at that time. If you notice this morning in our study that Gerald did, where did Herod return to? He's going back to Caesarea. What kind of forces do you think the Romans are going to have when their governor that rules that area dwells in Caesarea? This is not just your old run of the average soldier. This is some of the best. The best of the best. This is the Italian regiment. And Cornelius, he's in charge. He's in charge. And you know from reading the Gospels, and as we'll see also as we continue through the book of Acts, Rome occupies Israel. You live according to Roman rule. You pay taxes to Rome. And if you are a Roman soldier, Rome wants you to maintain order. And whenever you maintain order, you do whatever it takes to maintain that order. And as we saw this morning in our class, if they arrest someone and you don't keep them locked up, we'll kill you. Get the idea? Rome maintains order. You are a soldier of Rome. You know what your assignment is. Yet, we're told that Cornelius is a devout man. And he fears God. And he gives all to God's people. And he prays to God always. And so I read that. And I have to stop and think. How did that happen? Has he been stationed for quite some time there in Caesarea so he would have time to associate with the Jews and to see their lifestyle and to talk with them? Somehow, somewhere along the way, he becomes devoted to the God of the Jews. How did that happen? Do you know how many gods the Romans had? (laughs) Numerous. And do you know what God would have been most important to Cornelius? The Roman god Mars because he's the god of war. You want to be devout to someone? But that's not who he's devout to. He's devout to the Jews' God. 
to the point where he's willing to give up. Rome collects taxes. <laughs> and you've got a Roman soldier that's giving alms to these people and praying to their God. And you have to stop and think, how did that happen? But not only that, there's something else i got to think about. Roman soldiers? Have you ever heard of them before? <laughs> yeah, we have. Roman soldiers can be cruel. Remember when Jesus is standing trial? John 18, John 19. Do you remember that crown of thorns that was pressed down on his head? Do you remember when they took a robe, a scarlet robe, and hung it around his shoulders, stuck a reed in his hands, and then hit him in the face repeatedly, and then spit on him, and then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and mocked him? That's Roman. That's Roman soldiers. And when they scourge him and rip the flesh from his back, that's Roman. That's a Roman soldier. And when they force him to try and carry his own cross, but he can't, and they take him to Golgotha, and then they nail his hands and his feet to that cross, and they drop it into place, I guarantee you they didn't gently place it there. That's Roman. It was the Romans who invented crucifixion. You want to know why? Because they wanted to send a message. This is a slow, painful, excruciating death. Mess with Rome and see what happens to you. Now I got to think. Cornelius is not just a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. Do you think, should we be so naive, is to think that he rose to the rank of centurion and he never taught a young soldier how to get somebody in line? I think we would be naive to think Cornelius is not capable or has never taught a young soldier. This is the way you handle pushback. But let me ask you, when you think about that, and when you think about those Roman soldiers, does that sound like Cornelius? <laughs> That's not the Cornelius of verse 1 and 2, is it? And so somewhere in there you got to think, how did that happen? And when did that transition come? So let me ask you another question. Have you ever served in the military? <laughs> you ever known anyone that has served in the military? I've had close relatives that serve in the military. I had a cousin who gave his life serving in the military. My father-in-law served in the military. Now I want to be very careful here because I want to be respectful, but I want you to know at the same time I consider myself patriotic. I love this country with all its faults, Still up. People will go serve their country, will they not? And most times they're very proud of serving their country. But sometimes you talk to those who have served, and there are certain things they don't want to talk about. Sometimes serving your country can turn very ugly. I have never dug a hole and placed a landmine in it with the intent that if an enemy comes by 
it will severely maim them or kill them. I have never taken a rifle and stared down the barrel. And there's a human being on the other end. I've never taken a flamethrower. You get the picture. Sometimes it can be ugly when you serve your country. And sometimes people don't want to talk about those things. And sometimes it bothers their conscience severely. And so I have to think about Cornelius. And I read Acts chapter chapter 10. And I think When did that happen? When did that happen? But I do know this. That it says that he prayed continuously. He prayed regularly. He prayed without ceasing. And I've got to ask this question in my mind as I think about this. What are you praying about, Cornelius? What are you praying for, Cornelius? And why are you so devout to the God of the Jews? And why do you now, the one who would collect taxes, now pay alms to these people? And why are you teaching your household about their God? What happened, Cornelius? And so I wonder, and I want to ask, what are you praying for? I'm not told. <laughs> it doesn't say, and Cornelius prayed for it. <laughs> but what I do know is this. I may not know the words he was saying, but I know the answer that he was given. So you think that gives us some insight into his prayers? I think it does. So an angel tells Cornelius your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God and that word memorial is there the same kind of verbiage that is used in the Old Testament Leviticus the second chapter when they're offering sacrifices and they rise up as a memorial before God God recognizes them brings them into remembrance you know what that's saying? This angel is telling him, your prayers, your alms have risen up before God as a memorial. Cornelius, the God that you've been devout to, the God that you've been praying to, the God of these people, He hears you, Cornelius. (laughs) He hears you. He knows who you are. They may think you're a Gentile. But God knows who you are. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to send to Joppa. And I want you to go get Peter. I want to stop for just a second right there. Where's Cornelius? Well, we say, well, he's in Caesarea. And Joppa's about 35 miles south. And he's told by this angel, go send for, go get Peter and bring him up here. You're in Caesarea. Have you ever heard of Caesarea before? Well, yeah, we've heard of Caesarea various times. You know who else is in Caesarea? You remember a guy by the name of Philip? We're introduced to him in Acts chapter 6. Remember him? He's one of those seven that is chosen. He's one of those guys that the apostles laid their hands on. He's one of those guys that performed miracles. He's one of those guys that was constantly preaching Jesus. This is the same Philip that was first to go down to Samaria. Remember Philip? It was after he was down there and converted various ones, including Simon the sorcerer, that the apostles then, Peter and John, come down. Philip's already there. 
And after the apostles come down, what does the Spirit say to Philip? Uh, I need you to go over to this desert road. <laughs> There's somebody I want you to talk to. And that's when the Ethiopian eunuch shows up. Remember that? And then the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized and coming up out of the water. Where's Philip? <laughs> He's in the Zotus. And you read the latter part of Acts chapter 8 and it says, and he continues as far as... Can you guess? Caesarea. <laughs> so here's Cornelius in Caesarea. And one of the best evangelists that we've seen so far in the book of Acts is right there in Caesarea. It's like, Lord, did you forget? <laughs> Why don't you just get Philip to come over and visit for a little while with Cornelius? Nope. I want you to send for and go get Peter and bring him here. Why? Because this is a big deal. This is a turning point. This is what helps to complete the message in the Bible. This is going to change their understanding about the message. The gospel is for everyone. This is going to change the meaning of who God's people are. Because prior to this, who's God's people? Oh, well, that's the Jews. After this, who's God's people? Anyone who fears God and works righteousness is acceptable before Him. The gospel is for all. This is big. So what I want you to do is I want you to go get Peter. So now the Gentiles. The gospel of John, the 16th chapter, about verses 12 through 15. It's the last night that Jesus is with his apostles. This is some of the final hours. And what he has told them is that he is going to go away. But when he goes away, he's going to do something for them. He's going to send the Spirit. And when the Spirit is coming, he's going to guide you into all truth. Now here's what's interesting about these few verses in John 16. He said, when he, the Spirit, is truth, has come, he's going to guide you into all truth. But he will not... He will not speak on his own authority. But he will speak those things which he, have which he has received from me. And all things that the Father has are mine. You know what Jesus just did? He just told us what the heavenly chain of command is. The Holy Spirit's not going to speak on His own authority. He's going to take what's mine. And where did I get it? I got it from the Father. It's the Father. It's the Son. It's the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Can you see that? So that's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do for them. Go get Peter. We're going to announce something big. And we're going to do it by the book. It's God. It's Son. It's Holy Spirit. It's the apostles. Go get Peter. John the 16th chapter, or John the 10th chapter, I'm sorry. John the 10th chapter, about verse 16. Jesus was speaking to the Jews on that particular occasion. And he told them, Other sheep I have which are not of, that, of this fold, but I must bring them, and there will be one fold with one shepherd. 
See, he was sending the message to them at that time. This has been God's plan all along. And so what you read in Acts the 10th chapter is the fulfillment of that. But you know what else is the fulfillment of? It's the fulfillment of Matthew the 27th chapter in about verse 51. It was that Friday when Jesus was hanging on the cross and He gives up the Spirit and He dies. And at that moment, Matthew records for us that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. There's a new way in. Jesus, through His death, opened that new way to God. Nobody comes to the Father except by Me. This is how you get to God. That's what that's signifying. It's no longer come to the temple. It's no longer offer those animal sacrifices. It's no longer do I need an earthly high priest to intercede for me. I have a high priest. He's in heaven. He intercedes for me. I don't need the blood of a lamb because He was the Lamb of God. And I can enter in boldly before God's throne because of what He did. He ripped that veil when He died on that cross. We don't need that old Jewish system anymore. That's what Hebrews the 10th chapter is all about. Those things were just a shadow of the good things to come. Hebrews 10 and verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. By His will, by that will, we have been sanctified, verse 10, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, For by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Verse 20, By a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what He did for us. I don't need to go to the temple. I don't need to bring animal sacrifices. I don't need to go see anybody from the tribe of Levi. I have a high priest. This is big. Go get Peter. And so what we have in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, you have these visions you have a vision by Cornelius. Your prayers and your alms have come up with a memorial before God. I want you to send for Peter. At the same time, down in Joppa, Peter has a vision. And there is a sheep that is let down out of heaven. And inside of it is all kinds of animals. And he is told to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, in his usual fashion, uh-uh, ain't going to do it. <laughs> and it happens three times. And then he is told, while God is cleansed, you no longer consider unclean. And so Peter's pondering this. And at that same time, these men show up at the door. Knock, knock, knock. 
And he goes down. And the Spirit tells him before he goes down, there are three men down there. They are coming for you. Go with them without hesitation, without reservation, Peter. You go with them. And so Peter goes down and he asks them, why are you here? And they tell him once again about this vision that Cornelius has had and that's why here. And what does Peter do? These are Gentiles. Come on in. What? Come on in. Spend the night. We'll get after it in the morning, okay? This is about a two-day walk. Let's get some rest. Let's get some deep. And we'll take off in the morning. Do you think Peter had a little time to ponder this? On the way? Yeah, he did. So when he comes to the house of Cornelius, I think it's interesting, one of the very first things that happens when he comes there. Acts chapter 10 and verse 25, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet. And worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying stand up. I myself am also a man. (coughs) Me and you Cornelius. We're just the same. You think Peter's starting to get the idea. I think he is. So he tells them. You know how it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now I want to stop right there for this moment. Where was Peter when he had that vision and when the Spirit told him to go with them? Well, we say, well, he's in Joppa. So I want to ask you once again, you ever heard of Joppa before? Think back a ways to the Old Testament. Joppa? Do you know of any prophet that happened to be around Joppa? There was a guy by the name of Jonah. Remember him? And God wants to send him where? He wants to send him to Nineveh. You know what Jonah thought about that? Nineveh? I hate those people. (laughs) No, I want you to go to Nineveh. And so what does Jonah, God's prophet, do? He runs in the opposite direction. He heads for Tarshish. (laughs) So God had to teach him a lesson, didn't he? And finally, he gets him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah finally delivers the message. And what do the men and people of Nineveh do? They repent. And Jonah goes outside the city kind of watching to see what's going to go on. And it's hot out there. And the sun's beating down on his head. And finally this plant grows up. And Jonah's happy about that. (laughs) Get this sun off my head. (laughs) But then a worm comes by. And he eats at the plant. And the plant dies. And Jonah, he's upset. The plant died. (laughs) So what God did say to him? Jonah, you're more concerned about that plant than you are about these people. See, Jonah, I wanted you to come here. I want you to deliver a message. Because I'm concerned about these people. So Peter, from Joppa, don't you consider them unclean. Cornelius, your prayers have come up. So Peter goes. He goes, now I understand. And he delivers the message. And we don't have time to read it. But if you start at about verse 34. And you read all the way down to verse 33. Peter essentially preaches the gospel to them. And in verse 33, listen to what he says. To him all the prophets witness 
that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Cornelius has said that we have assembled here to listen to all that God has commanded you. We want to hear the words of God. And what were the words of God? That if you believe on him through him, that you can have the remission of your sins. What do you think Cornelius has been praying for? Do you think maybe he had a guilty conscience? And God said, go get Peter. I'm going to give you an answer. And isn't it interesting that whenever Peter says that through him you can have remission of sins, in verse 44, right there at that moment, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard. Do you think there was a witness there? It's testimony. What he has told you is the truth. This is the answer you've been looking for. And it's confirmation to Peter and all those other Jews that were there with him. The Gentiles are in. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. What do you think Peter's going to do? I'll stay. <laughs> and you're in. The Gentiles are in. And God's spokesman, an apostle, delivered the message. Galatians 3. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For are all one in Christ Jesus. You no longer meet God at the temple. You know where you meet Him? At the cross. I think it's interesting too. I can't verify this as fact. But it's been put forth by various scholars and so forth. That Luke was a Gentile. Seems to make sense to me. The book of Acts certainly has that Gentile emphasis to it. And Luke takes a lot of space in the book of Acts to record this story. The Gentiles are in. And it's been done according to the book. Go get Peter. So that's the story of a Jew a tanner, and a Gentile. Extend the invitation that any and all that are here, if you've never responded to Jesus Christ, He said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord, you let us know while together we stand, while we sing.